Since I last talked to him, Steve Dale is busy as ever. He now has two shows on WGN Radio, in addition to writing, doing TV, and speaking around the world. Steve, I talked to you a while ago, and you were doing a pet show at WGN, but you've been doing a lot more since then, and what have you been doing? <laughs> well, for 25, six years, I have been the host of Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN Radio. For about 15 years, a couple of national radio shows. Uh, 16 years, I don't know. I don't keep track of that very well. I have to look it up myself. But uh, somewhere along the way, because I've always done fill-in at WGN Radio, uh, here and there, when people are on vacation or if somebody's out sick, I live reasonably close and or around Christmas, what, that kind of thing, right? Not a ton of it, but a little bit here and there over the years, every year, uh, pretty much. So, and I'm grateful to do that where I'm just doing radio. And that's how I began. You know, I, if you go back enough years, played music on the radio. You Ooh, know, where was variety, that? A uh, variety of Chicago and suburban radio stations. Uh, so, and talk radio too. So uh, I filled in for Anna DeVlantis for a week and Mary, thank you, Mary, <laughs> gave me the opportunity and I never thought I'd be so happy doing this show. Is Mary the boss? Yeah, Mary's the boss, um, Mary Boyle. And she, gave, she said, you wanna do one to three on Sundays to just, no pets, just a general radio show. And I, I said, I know how to do that. And I've been doing it and I've been having a ball. I've been so fortunate to get wonderful guests uh, because I'm in the Moderna vaccine trial. I've had Dr. Richard Novak on a few times. He doesn't typically do radio, but I got him because I was in the trial and am in the trial. I've had Dr. Fauci on. I've had Dr. Jay Hotez on. He's the guy uh, who you see with a bow tie on CNN and MSNBC and other stations. Uh, Fauci was the first Chicago interview he did. Um, I've had lots of celebrities on. Uh, Lonnie Anderson comes to mind. People from Knott's Landing come to mind. Dionne Warwick's going to be on this coming week as just some examples. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge proponent of uh, supporting and promoting Chicago. And uh, as things began to open up, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to have the people from Navy Pier on, the people talking about Grand Park, the people talking about activities in Chicago that uh, you can all do again. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll be talking, I think, to the Goodman Theater this week. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to have the opportunity and the platform to promote our wonderful city as well. And to me, I'm from here. It is a wonderful city with all the issues and there are issues, it's still a wonderful city. I had James Kappelman, Alderman 46 Ward on a couple of weeks ago. He was my first in-studio guest in over a year. And uh, we, we talked about, uh, and it was a very frank discussion about crime in Chicago and about the carjackings and about uh, these kids and they are kids who carjack and how they're back out on the street uh, without probably fewer repercussions than if I go through a speed camera. So we talked about all that. And uh, I, again, I've just had a wonderful time doing this. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And I hope I've brought entertainment and information. To that sounds amazing. I love talk radio, especially the kind of talk radio that you're doing. You must feel like you're not even working. <laughs> it, it's work to get the guests, you know, because, you know, we're talking about 
people that may not typically do radio in some cases, uh, like Dianne Warwick this week. Uh, but uh, other than the, the actual doing of the program, no, it's a joy to do, and I'm honored to do it. I mean, I grew up listening to WGN radio, so uh, this is my third time around on WGN, if I'm counting right. And I'm probably not. It might, it's actually in a way more than that. When I was in uh, college, I worked as, and anyone in radio will like, what? A radio log keeper. My job was to keep the log. Now it's all done by computer, of course, for many years. But at that time, a human being got paid minimum wage, me, you know, but I was thrilled to do it. I was in college. I mean, and I'm a WGN. I was able to say, I'm a WGN. And I kept the log for, uh, my hours were 9 a.m. to, let's see, 2 p.m. So I kept the log for the last hour of Wally Phillips, the first two hours of Roy Leonard, in between at the time there was a farm show, and then the other part of the Roy Leonard show. Orion Samuelson, of course, the host of that farm show with Max Armstrong. What an education. I mean, to be able to, to be forced, to, my job was to be forced to listen to these grandmasters of radio. Mm -hmm. And uh, much later in my life, I, when Wally Phillips, uh, toward the end of his reign at WGN, R-E-I-G-N, at WGN, uh, he had a, after, I think it was Sundays, I don't remember, but he did the show from a restaurant. Might have been Arnie's Restaurant. I'm, I don't know, one of those old-time restaurants. And uh, he had the circular booth. And he brought in various people every week. But they were regulars, you know, he'd rotate. And I was one of the regulars he brought in. I mean, can you imagine being a semi-regular? And uh, Roy Leonard would have me on periodically. But it was Bob Collins having me on the radio talking about pets that changed my life. Uh, because I, he kept me on forever. You know, he usually kept guests on for 15 minutes. He kept me on for 45 minutes or 50 minutes and uh, through newscast and everything. And I had so much fun. I had no idea what was about to happen. Uh, the program director at that time, Mary June Rose, had a meeting. And at that meeting, the news director, Tom Peterson, was my biggest cheerleader. I barely knew Tom Peterson at that point, but now I know the story. And Tom said, when Mary June said, we'd like some specialty programs on our air. And uh, Tom Peterson said, uh, were you listening to your own station this morning? How about that guy talking about pets? And Mary June said, you know, because you're a radio guy first and know how to run your own board so you don't need an engineer, money maybe, you don't need an engineer to do it. Uh, we want you if you want it. And oh my gosh, it was a dream come true. I mean, I grew up listening to WGN radio. And at that point, Roy Leonard was still working there. The legends, Bob Collins was obviously there. The legends were still there. Spike O'Dell was there. And uh, it was then 25 or six or however many years ago. And then I got fired about 15 years ago or 10 years ago, whenever that was, when that new management came in and fired half of everybody. Uh, I was half of everybody. Uh, I was the first refugee to find work uh, I went to WLS down the street, did my pet show there. And uh, then they decided to take, it was Notre Dame football, I think. And the time slot was about the same as most football games. So I wasn't on very often. And they didn't give me another time slot. So I thought this isn't working out so well. Besides, people were calling WLS radio saying, 
oh, it's good to hear you back on WGN. And they're calling WLS. Wow. You know, it's like, okay, how do I dump that call? Really, You know, they're on a delay, but I always didn't catch it. And that happened several times. It's probably because, so they, thought, it's probably because they linked you to the WGN brand. So. They did. And uh, then uh, Tom Langmeyer was nice enough to ask me back. And I've been back ever since at a variety of time slots doing the pet show and now this other show that I talk about, and always along the way appear on other radio shows when they want someone talking about pets. Well, when you, um, I saw you on TV recently on, I think it was ABC, and you were talking about pet issues. And I was wondering, what is the difference that you experience between TV and radio? That's a good question. So in TV, for one thing, uh, in, it's, in radio, I learned long ago, it's not only what you say, it's how you say it. I guess I pause a lot on the air at times. And it was Larry Lujak who actually told me kind of to do that. Not in those words. Uh, He's a master. He was. Oh my gosh. And, and I, you know, I, I ought to be at least adequate at what I do on the radio. And then I'll, I'll answer your question. When you think about the people I had as teachers, you know, I mentioned Roy Leonard and Wally Phillips. Uh, I worked as a producer, familiar sounding job, uh, for Fred Winston. I worked at WLS at a time when I worked with John Landecker. I was the entertainment reporter at LS. Uh, so I was a producer for Fred at one point in my life, but then went to WLS as an entertainment reporter, did entertainment reports for Fred and for Landecker's show. I mean... Uh, I was an intern, a lowly intern at WLS Radio when uh, Lou Jack came to me. He took a liking to me. Uh, And he was actually a quiet guy, funny, quirky guy, but quiet. And uh, I still have an autograph right here. I can't show you because it's a desktop. So it it would be kind of clumsy if I turned around the computer screen to show you. But I have... um, On my wall right here, it's WLS Radio Stationery. And it's stationery that it was Lou Jack's. And at the very bottom, it's printed Larry Lou Jack. It's a stationery, right? It's like a pad of paper stationery. And uh, he wrote on a thanks. And then him, H-I-M, and an arrow pointing to his name. And I have a longer note that I have from uh, Roy Leonard. I wrote a feature story about him in one of the publications I wrote for, and uh, it's a note thanking me, and I have both of those framed. Um, I interviewed Roy Leonard for this podcast. You very did. interesting guy. Yeah, it was before he passed away. Yeah, very interesting guy. Well, I would hope it was before he passed away. Yeah, I mean, like not long, maybe you know, not long before, but yeah. How was he? Incredible. I couldn't. I was shocked that he even let me interview him, and he lived down the street from my dad. And so I went to interview him in the building where he lived and he was very gracious, uh, really awesome. Yeah. Mm. Roy Leonard was, I mean, you talk about celebrity interviews, he knew how to do it. And uh, John Davidson just sent this, if you remember him, an entertainer from the seventies, mostly. He said this to me on the air, which was like amazing. And it might've been showbish dick, I don't know. But he said that, you took a lesson from someone because 
you know how to make the other person sound good and look good. Wow. That's an incredible compliment. You know, and yeah, it could have been showbiz dick. I don't know whether, you know, but that, that is what Roy Leonard was able to do in spades. And uh, he knew exactly where he was going with the interview. There was always a beginning, a middle and an end. Every interview told the story. Well, he was on TV. He told me when it started, basically. <laughs> so I he was a master that. communicator. But yeah, yeah. But so back, but back to TV, though, because in I TV, really. Yeah, so t- TV, I, I didn't answer your question. So in radio, it's what you say and how you say it. That matters a bit in TV. But in TV, everything is much more condensed. And uh, you have to talk, you really do have to talk in sound bites and you really do have to find a way to concisely get everything in. Even if they edit it? Because I know that the piece you were doing, I think it was around the town with your dog or doing activities yeah, yeah. with your dog. Okay. Yeah, it was dog friendly play. I think that's the one you're thinking of. It was recent dog friendly places. I did it with Ross Barron, who's a joy to work with. You know, I've, I've worked with some amazing people. I've been very lucky. So basically, though, when you're on TV, you have to, you said you have to condense what you say more. Yeah. I mean, they, and out of what's condensed, they take a little snippet, they condense it much further. You know, it depends on what you're doing on TV, too. You know, here I was a part of her segment. It's different if I'm in studio looking for camera. It's, it's, if it's my segment, it's different. You know, so it depends on what you're doing. Uh, so to answer that question better, uh, but uh, the, the other thing is that uh, I can wear anything I want if I'm on the radio. Yeah. TV, not as much. Yeah, that's the thing. Also, do you have to wear makeup or do you bring your own makeup to your <laughs> or, or do they do it for Why you? Why are you asking me that? <laughs> did I look that bad? Um, no, you were outside. But the thing is that um, because I did ask somebody <laughs> else's question, he said he went to Mac and he got his own makeup. And some people say they do the makeup. So No, they used to have makeup. I mean, I go back when they used to have makeup people at the stations. Uh, some do still, but most don't. So if you if you have a beard like I have and you don't want it to show on TV, yeah, you have to use some powder or stuff like that. Hmm. You know, uh, for, I don't know how you get rid of the bags under my eyes. They're big enough to put groceries in. It just means I worked in radio a lot. Well, you look really young. I'm assuming you're not 30. Um, I you am. do look youthful, right? Okay, well, it's incredible because you started as a baby. So, <laughs> no, but I do have Thank noticed you. that there are people who've worked in radio for years and they look so good and they seem really fresh. I think it's because they love what they do. I think it's true for any profession. You know, um, someone a long time ago, I was just writing somebody about this. Uh, a long time ago, someone gave me the uh, w- simple but wonderful advice if, if you can find something, because I asked this person who was an actress about being typecast, and she said, I wanted to be. Because if you can find something that you are good at, that you are the best at, you probably enjoy it already. If not, find something else. Find something that you enjoy, that you can excel at, and that you can learn and want to learn even more because you love it so much. And if you can do that in a way, you won't work a day in your life and you'll be the best at what you do. And that combination isn't bad. That's interesting because sometimes people say that they don't want to be typecast. So some people have a really good situation and then they want to diversify. So they leave that good situation and it's, they never have the same kind of wealth or success that they've had before. 
True. Um, you know, I was, uh, yes, I've talked to many actors about that over the years. Um, for me, I knew that when I was asked to cover the pet beat to do a syndicated column for the Tribune, which I did for 22 years or something like that, um, I didn't instantly say yes. And part of the reason is I knew that that's all I would be writing about. I instinctively knew it. And it turned out that is all I wrote about uh, and have written about. I've written like two stories uh, that were not pet related in 30 years now or more. Um, but I love it. You know, I love writing about pets. I love talking on the radio, communicating via television or YouTube or whatever it is uh, about companion animals uh, who are members of the family, right? You know, so it's an important thing. Uh, but I didn't jump at it because I innately knew that that's all I'd be doing. Uh, and I thought, you know, I was a reporter. So I covered all sorts of things. Primarily, I was covering entertainment at the time, but I was covering other things too. I even wrote at one time in the Tribune, I forgot what it was called. And the Friday section was like some technical column about some stuff. I didn't know what I was writing about really because I could barely use a screwdriver, you know? But the information was there and I was just repurposing that information for people. Uh, but um, I've been very blessed in my career. If it all ends tomorrow and in this business, it could. That's true, but it seems like you've been in, you're in the media, but you've diversified over the years, even though you may, be, may, have, talking, may have communicated about pets a lot you've done in different kinds of media, which is incredible, especially in a big market like this. I mean, if people want to do that kind of thing, work in different kinds of media at the same time, do you have any suggestions for that? Well, I credit you for teaching at Columbia. Um, I was asked to come in and lecture once. It was a long time ago and I did it. Um, I know the guy who's passed away since, uh, who was some fancy title at Columbia, who the broadcasting school who asked me to do it. Uh, but uh, I don't remember exactly what I spoke about, but I remember some of the Q&As afterwards. And I spoke at the Loyola for their media, you know, TV, radio department twice. And then they didn't ask me back. And they told me why. It's because I told people to get out of the business even before they were in it. Hmm. And I mean that. It's a terrible business in so many ways. Okay, why is it terrible? There are so many reasons. <laughs> It was tough when I first went into it all those years ago. Wow, and it was actually better then. Yes, and it was tough then. There's no stability. Uh, it's radio itself, is radio in particular. Television too. It's like a triangle, if you could think of a triangle. And at the top of the peak of the triangle are those who are lucky enough to be in Chicago, New York, LA, Houston, the really big markets but most of the people are at the base and are working part-time, barely working, barely surviving, barely making money. I think that's probably true for actors too. You're listening to the Radio Girl Podcast with Margaret Larkin. And thanks to Jeff Davis, who's at jeffdavis.com. And I want to let you know that I will be at the Printer's Row Book Fair a day before my birthday on September 11th. I'll give more details when I get them. So it was true back then, too, when these media companies had more money and there were more jobs and so forth? Uh, yes, it was true then. And it's even more true now. Uh, monetizing yourself as a blogger uh, is a very difficult thing to do. Some have succeeded, for sure. 
but it's still that triangle, the percent of the people that do it. Uh, monetizing yourself on Instagram, same, you know, and does that mean you're really an expert on something because you've found a way to monetize it? Uh, I, I personally don't necessarily, I don't think so. Um, it's an insecure business, you know, as grateful as I am to be at WGN and as happy as they say they are with me and as hard as I work and I do still work hard. Every time I use that key card, I think maybe it won't work. Honestly. No, me too. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, because it, truly you just never know. Um, for me, me too. I do the same thing when I go to Prudential, I swipe and I think, is it going to be red? <laughs> yeah, I, I, yes. For me, if it all ended tomorrow, one could say at least I had a good run. And uh, I was at the, I believe the best radio station on the planet for more than two decades, which most cannot say. So I've been very lucky, but still it's a, uh, a tough business. And I was also lucky in that um, I was able to specialize, love what I, as I talked about before, what I love, what I specialize in having to do with companion animals. And because I have a background of doing TV and radio, I was able to translate that knowledge to be a guy on TV and radio. So I, I'm lucky that I found a specific niche. And while I'm doing general talk now, um, it's just a, um, ridiculously hard business to succeed in. Um, <clears throat> luck has something to do with it. Uh, talent has something to do with it, I suppose, but persistence more than anything else. You know, I was gonna ask also, you know, I, I wasn't, I was almost fired and um, I have been laid off in radio. So how do you, how do I you have a lot? <laughs> so I'll tell you a story that I've not told a lot. I was at a radio station, the call letters, I think if you could say the call letters, you got the job. WWMN. Uh, they were in Arlington Heights. It was 92.7, I think. And I worked the 7 p.m. the midnight shift, Monday through Friday. And I was on the air Saturdays, I think midday, but I don't know. And I did this for like nine months or 10 months. And their afternoon drive guy was from... WJJD Radio, I'll say that, where he had been for many years. Many years. And he was a well-traveled radio guy. And his shtick on the air was spelling out his name. I'm not going to say his name because of what comes next in the story. So I come into work. We don't admit they're like cubby holes that we had where people kept their headphones in and maybe a folder with some news they were going to talk about on the prep, prep for the show. Uh, some carts, maybe, with some special effects that were specific to them. And in that cubby hole, I found a memo, which I've kept. I could almost pull it out right now. I know where it is. And it said something to the effect, Dear Steve, thank you for working here for the 10, 11 months, whatever it was, maybe a year, that you've worked here. However, it's become abundantly clear to me that you will never make it in radio. Please listen to my advice and find another profession for yourself mm. because wow. you're a nice guy or something like that. And then he signed his name. Never called me or anything like that. Just left me that memo. 
Oh, and he did say today's your last day. So I've kept it all this time. And I wish he's passed away, but I wish I would have had an opportunity to talk to him, to say, hey, man, I've been a WGN and you never made it there. And I've done all these other things and you never made it there. Right. Um, it helped to motivate me in a way, which is mm -hmm. crazy and maybe vengeful. I don't know. But it did help to motivate me. And uh, it's like, and it has over the years. Anytime someone tells me I can't do it, I want to do it. And uh, he wasn't the only one. I mean, I've been fired so many times. How do you deal with that then? Like, have you been fired? It's been a I, while, but, you know, at the beginning, I was fired over and over and over again. You know, either changes in format or whatever, whatever. This was the most traumatic, saying that you should get out of the business. But uh, I, I got that pink slip, even if it wasn't pink, many times, uh, many times. So how do you deal with it? How do you stay on track? How do you stay motivated to still pursue what you want? Yeah, I think there's, I, I should do a genetic test to see if there's rubber in my DNA because I keep bouncing back. And uh, I'm not sure why I am determined enough or lucky enough to have that ability. I don't know, uh, or stubborn enough. Uh, but the more they say no, sometimes the more I say, oh, yeah, I can. Okay, so it's really that. It's just that there's something in your personality where, you, you know, you persevere and you rise to the challenge. Okay, that's neat. Well, I think that's the only way to make it in the profession. Because no matter who you are, at some point in time, talent doesn't matter. You're going to, the ownership will change. Something will happen. And you're going to be cut out. And... Uh, you either have to reinvent yourself or keep persisting or find a way. And I kind of reinvented myself, you know, more than once until I found the pet thing. And once I found that groove, I just, I'm so grateful I stuck with it and I love it. Yeah. And also, I have a question also about writing. Um, when you were writing your comps, I know you were syndicated. How did you go about writing them? Did you do a lot of drafts? Did you have a theme first? What did you do? No, I'm not that kind of writer. So I hate writing books because I like just pumping it out and it's done. That's why I love doing a blog now. So the Tribune actually got more than their money's worth. They uh, didn't pay me necessarily for two columns, but I did two columns a week. One was a Q&A column. People would write in their questions. Uh, Dear Steve, my cat is peeing outside the litter box. Tell me why. Uh, or I would, and I would do a feature every week as well. Uh, so I never ran out of ideas, never ran out of content to write about. Uh, people always wrote me. At first, it was snail mail, because this goes back many years. Uh, and then, of course, I got email with snail mail, and then primarily just email. Uh, but people always have questions about their pets, particularly behavior. And as I became certified as an animal behavior consultant, I felt qualified to answer those. Uh, the medical questions, I go to veterinarians because it was syndicated. I was able to go to the best in the country hmm. uh, to talk to, sometimes best in the world, to talk to about whatever problem it is. So these folks are getting amazingly expert advice. Uh, and uh, for feature stories, I wrote about all sorts of different things over the years until it became apparent. You know, so when I first took the column, I was in all these Sunday newspapers. I was in major markets dozens and dozens all over the country, well over 100 newspaper, 
millions and millions of readers. Uh, but then the newspapers began to go away at some point in time. Literally, they began to go away. Or they would cut out columns because they got so small, the papers, because they, or they were only publishing like three days a week. And uh, my column generally was not advertiser supported uh, in those papers. Pet companies don't typically take out ads in papers. I don't know why, uh, but uh, they don't and they didn't. And there I went, you know, I was gone, you know, from paper after paper after paper, either because the paper went out or my column disappeared from the paper. And at some point in time, I thought, and people were telling me over and over, get away from there, because I could do better on my own, they said, uh, than in the newspaper. Uh, and indeed, that's happened, I believe. So right now, I don't necessarily have more readers on my blog than when I started, but uh, certainly more than when I ended. Well, where is your blog? Uh, SteveDale.tv. And do you have sponsors on your blog or? No, oh, I don't. Pay, I don't. I, I get asked almost every day, but but I don't take them because I feel that contained what I do. Well, so you're very journalistic in that respect. I guess. Yeah. And so have you written books? Mm -hmm. And how did you go about that? Or how many, which books, what books have you written? <laughs> oh, you know, well, I've contributed to many more than I've written myself. Uh, so the Tribune Company came to me several years ago when they were experimenting at that time, experimenting with online books. Uh, and I wrote Good Dog and Good Cat. I wrote a kid's book, um, but I'm, I wrote a book called Dog on Chicago. I think what I'm far more proud of are some of the con contributions I've made than my own books, uh, because they're veterinary books for the most part, not completely, uh, but a lot of them are, and I'm proud that they'd even think of me you know, to, to do anything. So I've written chapters uh, in a variety of veterinary books, including some veterinary textbooks. And that's like, it's one of the greatest honors of my life. It's wonderful. And um, so you're obviously you're an expert in this area. So how would you, would you, do you have any recommendations for people who want to be an expert in an area that they think they're strong in? Have a passion for it. That's all. <laughs> and then learn all you can. Uh, that's, that's really about it. And then, but how about learning how to let people know that you're an expert? Because obviously well, you've gotten a lot of coverage. Yeah, so uh, at the very beginning, I mean, they don't ask this anymore, but years ago they would ask, well, what makes you, where did you go to school? What makes you an expert? That kind of thing. And uh, I did actually minor in psychology in college. And there is a relationship there because I'm talking about animal behavior. And, uh, and believe it or not, dogs and cats are wired pretty much the same as we are. Uh, and I also minored in what was then called ecology, biology, but it gave me background as far as both physiology as well as um, the way in which our compan companion animals think and wild animals. I have some background in that as well and actually did field research a thousand years ago in Borneo. So I do have some background with, with animals uh, and had a huge interest in it. And I took that wherever, so I don't think I ever finished the story. So Lou Jack said, we're doing this feature called Animal Stories at the very beginning. And he said, it was a big thing they called The Wire. And that's where the Associated Press and United Press International, where the news literally on this big, big machine that made a lot of noise that had big yellow paper. And you'd put in the paper when the old paper ran out. Uh, and uh, you pull 
you'd look at the stories that come across or, and, or someone else would file them in different places. And my job was to look for stories related to animals for those first animal stories that they did. Uh, and that's what I, that's one thing I did at uh, WLS back then. I was always interested in it. And when I was producing the Bob and Betty Sanders show on WGN, nicest people ever. And they were off the air, just the same as they were on. Uh, just terrific, wonderful people and uh, down to earth. But I said, you know, we need to do a segment every day about animals. And they tolerated me and we did a segment every day about animals. I didn't do the segment, we found an expert guest. So Monday was, I have the days of the week wrong, I'm sure, but it was something like, Monday, someone from the Shedd Aquarium, Tuesday, someone from the Lincoln Park Zoo, Wednesday, someone from uh, a shelter, Thursday, someone from the Brookfield Zoo, and Friday, usually a celebrity about their pets, uh, something like that. And uh, that's what we did and it won an award actually. And also um, what you were saying about Larry Lujak and animal stories, I remember that because I'm old enough to remember, that was, that was really earth shattering back then. Nowadays it would be no big deal, but weren't they one of the pioneers of that kind of concept? I don't think so. I mean, it was just, it was a radio bit that became really, 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 really popular. Uh, it was popular because of their talent, you know, it was, and their, and their chemistry that they had together. Uh, and it was on a 50,000 watts radio station. So that's the, uh, that's a recipe for success. And uh, you have names like Lou Jack and Tommy Edwards doing it. Uh, it was incredible to be around and to sit, you know, in the back seat as these guys were doing their thing for a short period of time until the internship ran out. Uh, but I'm just grateful that, Tommy Edwards still remembers me and oh, wow. La Landecker remembers stories. I don't even remember from WLS, you know? Right. So, um, cause I was a little kid, you know? So now let's say that somebody is not a celebrity. How would they get on a radio show? What advice do you have for people who want to be guests? Well, there's a reason why you can want to come on, right? It's to inform or entertain about something. So choose the right program. So if I want to talk about um, tick protection in dogs and why that's important, I am probably not going to go to a station whose format is all rap. I mean, where would they put you? You know, so choose the right radio station. Uh, if there's someone that, if it's a specific item, like you are an expert on why you should be legally allowed if you're an employer to say, I want to mandate that you have a vaccine uh, for uh, SARS coronavirus 2 for COVID-19 before you can come to work here. Probably not pitching a show on baseball, but rather the legal show on a station like WGN makes the most sense. So pick the right outlet for you. Uh, if it's television, it really has to have a news hook unless it's one of the television magazine shows of which there are, what, three? I mean, there aren't many of them locally uh, anymore. Uh, so pick the right platform for you, make the pitch concise and as newsworthy as possible and explain briefly why you are the one that is best to talk about it. And then um, also, how did you get in the vaccine trial? Uh, so I just filled out a form online. I never thought I would be chosen. Um, I thought, this is cool. If I get the vaccine before everybody else, I'm happy, you know. Uh, turned out I got the placebo, uh, but then instantly was vaccinated once they did the reveal. It was like a baby reveal. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, she looks online and instead of a, what is it, a blue balloon or a yellow balloon or something like that? Mm-hmm. What, what is I thought it it's blue or pink. Mm-hmm. Pink, yeah, okay. So instead of that, uh, it was a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if you got a thumbs down, and I was videotaping it all, I posted it all with her permission. Uh, she said, oh, well, and the contract, by the way, there's a contract. For this. Mm-hmm. It says, okay, then you instantly can get the, the vaccine. And if you're in the trial, how would you say no to that? I mean, you're exactly. in the trial, you're positively predisposed to be vaccinated. So I don't know if anyone said no, I certainly did not. And mm-hmm. in less than five minutes, they're coming up with the vaccine and I got you know, wow. And I was so happy about having it. And actually better that I was in, uh, that I got the placebo because if I got the placebo, my vaccine effectiveness might be waning at some point soon mm-hmm. as opposed to me getting it later, which was in late December, maybe. Wow. Quite a Christmas gift, you know? And That's I funny. I took it as a gift. I mean, oh man, it was, I was so excited to get that. And, you know, we worked very hard. So my wife got the vaccine. Mm. I don't comprehend. I mean, there are people all over the world, millions and millions and millions of people who wish they could get this vaccine. And there are millions of people in the United States who could get it that won't. Mm -hmm. The overwhelming majority have no medical reason not to get it. Uh, They're just swayed by, frankly, disinformation and uh, ignorance. Sorry to be so harsh, but I'm not sorry to be so harsh because that's what it is. At this point in time, you know, when they say, and by the way, the vaccine, you're right. They knew the technology worked. So there was a, this is called uh, sudden acute respiratory syndrome or SARS-2 because there was a SARS-1. Yeah. And that was about 12 years ago. And they did not know that it would peter out on its own, Mm -hmm. which it ultimately did. Mm-hmm. So they had started, even before then, working on a va- the mRNA technology. They began working on that technology. It is that old. Yeah, because my, my doctor, my uncle, who's a doctor, said they were working on at least 10 years. Exactly. Exactly right. Because they, they thought that they would need it much sooner. But then that virus petered out. Now, the good news about that is they were able to continue. A lot of their funding disappeared, but not yeah. all of it. And they were able to continue working on it. And, and testing it and doing some trials kind of behind the scenes. That sounds sneaky. I didn't mean it that way. But It's called research. Tri- it's yeah, called they research. Were, yeah, they were. And they were also trialing people with their permission. And it was published, but it wasn't publicized because who cared? You know, right. it wasn't. But then this happened. And then the vaccine, we said, you know, Moderna said and Pfizer said, we've got these vaccines. And everyone said, this is new technology. It is newer technology for sure. And it's brilliant, but it's not, it wasn't created in conjunction with this virus. It was created in conjunction with one that began over 10 years ago. Let me know what you think. Email me at margaret at radiogirl.us. You can also call or text me at 716-202-TALK. That's 8255. And like the Radio Girl Facebook page. You can find out about who's coming up next, see pictures, listen to audio, and more.